Hello and welcome to BirdCast, the Nigel Neal podcast. In this episode of BirdCast, we're continuing our look at the Nigel Neal centenary with not one but two conversations with representatives of the British Film Institute. First, we chat with Dick Fiddy, archive television programme of a BFI South Bank, about TV archives, the upcoming BFI Nigel Neal season, and why television matters as an artefact of social history. Then we welcome Douglas Weir, the BFI's technical delivery manager who oversees digital restoration of archive material, and Vic Pratt, the BFI's Blu-ray and DVD producer, as well as a film archivist, writer, historian, and curator of the BFI's Flipside range. Doug and Vic have been working on the upcoming Blu-ray release of the classic 1954 Neil-scripted BBC adaptation of Orwell's 1984. And they talk a bit with us about the challenges and joys of that project. This is Birdcast, episode 30. Restoring Nigel Neal at the BFI. Welcome to Birdcast. Hello there. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks very much. Uh, thank, thank, thanks so much for your time. So first of all, um, before we talk about the specific specifics of the the, 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 the Nigel Neal event, do you just want to say a quick bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm Dick Fiddy. I'm the Archive Television Programmer at BFI Southbank. And what that means is that um, some 28 years ago, the BFI decided that they were going to have regular television screenings alongside their cinema screenings. Um, it's part of their policy to treat television with the same respect and depth that they would do film. Uh, I persuaded them that if they were serious about that, then we needed to do regular uh, TV programming uh, and to cover TV in much the same way we do films. So some of them would be thematic, some of them would be centered around people, some of them would be centered around centenaries, whatever. But that, that way we could cover the waterfront. Um, it also came at a time when there was very little tele archive television available. Um, there wasn't really a, a, a VHS um, releasing policy then. There was a couple of things were getting out there, but not much. There was hardly any retrospective. Um, archive on TV. Um, Channel 4 had, um, had exploded with a bit of it when they started in uh, in 82, but nothing more, nothing much since then. Um, so in those days, there was a lot to plunder. There was a lot of uh, unexplored avenues, a lot of things people hadn't seen. And so um, we were, there was a, a, a a mountain of material that we had to choose from. So the more difficult thing in the old days was actually narrowing it down and talking about the way we would have shown things. Initially, we started very much by decade. So we would do 50s and 60s. Later on in the year, we'd do 70s. We'd do themes like the history of uh, gay representation on television, ethnic minority representation. And then we'd do individual people. We did Jack Rosenthal. Um, we did um, 
Jim Whitfield. We'd, we'd do people like that. Um, so there was many ways into many different windows into using the archive. We worked a lot with the BFI archive, which is in fact the largest moving image archive in the world, mainly because it covers, rarely, it covers film and television. Not many archives do that. And because of our policy of, of uh, recording live television as it goes out, it means that the collection grows by an enormous amount every week. Is it fair to say, though, that television is now treated as equal to film in the BFI, uh, but it might not, not have always been historically? I think that's very fair. It was an uphill struggle, um, uh, to tell you the truth, many from years per, ago. From a personal perspective, we're talking here. Yeah, it yeah. Was, well, I just think in, in general there was a snobbery against television, but there was also a snobbery against some of the what would be considered the more disposable areas of film. Um, so, you know, like the carry-on films, for instance, or the James Bond film would be, if not held in contempt, they would be seen as, um, as not being something perhaps worthy of the same analysis that they would give to Fellini or, um, or something like that. Over the years, that attitude has softened, I have to say, it's changed a lot. It still can be pretty controversial, understandably, because, you know, if you are a cineaste, you do... You, you might find difficulty with some of what we call the more immediate arts, the, more, the lower arts. But I think also we can see now how those art forms are probably more representative of what was going on at the time and meant a lot to some people that weren't necessarily that concerned with cinema. They were just concerned with going to the cinema for entertainment rather than going to the cinema with a capital C. Do you think, though, that the history of television as well sort of provides an alternative sort of social history as 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 representing sort of how things were attitudes feelings at the time in the way that's often cinema and in particular what you say sort of the the accepted sort of official canon of british cinema probably is less representative of i believe so television's quite immediate and also mm -hmm. it's quite intimate it's in your home yeah. so it comes with a different set of rules if you like i always think that one of the examples of that is uh, the ghost story i think um the the idea of christmas ghost story is one of the reasons why they hold such effect for us i think is because they you see them in your home and then immediately they're finished you're clearing up and going to bed if you see them in a cinema you've got a bus ride home or a walk home you've got some time for the demons to subside but when you watch them at home they live with you a bit so it can be quite it can be more spooky but also i think that intimacy also goes the way of, let's say, soap operas, where you you visit the same character perhaps three or four times a week, the same set of characters. They get into your blood a lot more mm. than than they can on the big screen. So yeah, they are very different medium. They they they're both visual, fair enough, but they are different. And um, and I think once you understand that they're different, then you could actually study them or talk about them and absorb them in different ways. I have to say, nowadays, the, the blurring of those lines, it's becoming closer. Mm. Um, High-end television drama now is very, is, is very little different from high-end film. I mean, perhaps the only difference being by the length they run, you know, so, and filmmakers and film actors have moved en masse onto television because they want to tell longer form stories. So when the BFI um, decides, actually, no, let's go a step back further. 
how does the BFI decide what seasons would be in a in, in a given year? Obviously, some will be time specific, but uh, not 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 all. Is there a, is there a wide discussion, or does everyone pitch that pitch their ideas? Is it a, a fairly long process? The, the BFI have an overall cultural plan, which you know, usually runs over an, a number of years. Uh, there's areas that. that are important to the BFI to look at during that time. Obviously, at the moment, with every organisation, the BFI included, diversity is a big one. There is there is a movement to try and um, to even up the balance. For so long, you know, it's been top heavy towards one way or another, and, it's, and many stories have been undertold. So that's one of the things. But there's and and maybe um, we'll look at just, just we, as we have done recently. We'll think we we haven't visited. Um, the cinema of Japan for a while so we may look at that and every so now and then the same figures come up because a new generation is getting around to them so someone like Agnes Varda or someone like Kubrick or someone like Fellini they're people that will be in a long-term circle that cycle that perhaps once every 10 years there'll be a big retrospective and um, because that's a new generation to, to catch up and also um there's so much stuff out there that you have to keep a weathered eye to make sure that some of the classics and greats don't slip out of the consciousness just because they're, you know, they're competing with everything um, that's around now. Um, with television, what we have to do is um, we have to pitch a number of ideas, probably more ideas than, than we'll do, um, that goes to an overall programming committee. Uh, they're very good for letting us, uh, if we put something to it, they very rarely um, would rule it out. What they'd try and do is look at, perhaps we'd, we'd suggest say eight seasons and they've only got room for five. So they would, they would perhaps make that decision on, on the five, five out of there, but they're not, gonna, they're not gonna turn anything down because they, they don't think it's the right thing to do. They're turning it down because they want to make sure the, the right thing fits in with the cultural plan, that you're not, you've not all got the same thing going on. So you can't have a month where every different department of the BFI has suddenly decided to do comedy or war films. You want, you know, you don't want to alienate some of the audience. So you want to give them a, a tapestry of what's on. Um, we do a lot of TV previews. So there's, two TV previews every month. So there is always quite a large section of the television within the, the, the programme itself. We also do the BFI Radio Times TV Festival, which takes a lot of organisation. So when you've got regular previews and that big chunk of television programming there, that takes a lot of time. We're a very small team, the TV team. So that takes a, a great chunk of your time out. So they're... Therefore, we've probably only got room for perhaps five TV seasons a year outside of, of that big stuff. And that's some of those, uh, uh, you know, some of those, there is a centenary or something like that, or you haven't done someone for a while. Or one of the best things, if there's, if there's a resonance with something that's happening contemporaneously in the world, um, a while back, my colleague Marcus did a season looking at the way the NHS has been looked at on television, but it sort of coincided with all these concerns about the NHS and whether it was being broken up. So there was a, there was a good reason for doing an archive NH, NHS season. There was a, there was a good 
um, contemporary reason why that was pertinent. So that's that's the sort of thing. If you can find a pertinent reason, there are a few that are just solely based on the strength of one person or one group's a set of talents. So with the Nigel Neal one, fairly obviously, it was because it was his it was it, it was his centenary. So. In in that case, I mean, was that uh, you you personally, or or, or 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 somebody in your team suggested it? And if it was you, does that and it's accepted? Does that then mean you get right? You get free reign to do to do what ten slots, five slots? Does it depend on uh, every other factor, or does it depend on how much material you might have available? That that sort of thing. Yeah, all those things come into yeah. play. Less so now with digitization, which um, before that we'd have to think. Long, especially in the film section, you have to think long and hard about getting hold of a decent print. You might go to, you know, a dozen archives over the world to try and find a decent print or, or something. That's that's changed now. The digitization means that, you know, there is a there is more of a standard. But with something like Nigel Neal, we were aware the centenary was coming up a couple of years ago. Um, so we had a look at what the archive held and what we thought was good. You have a look at what's available on DVD. Um, with someone like Nigel Neal, actually, the stuff that's available out there is it doesn't necessarily mean you wouldn't show it in the cinema because some people want that collective experience of seeing it in the cinema. They quite enjoy it. It's a good time for them to meet their friends and things like that. Um, but at the same time, um, we knew we were going to release 1984. We've been pursuing it for some years. Um, finally, getting that out on Blu-ray was, was, was another reason to build a season around it. As for the choices in the season, to tell the truth, um, we looked at what else people were doing because it's, you don't want to clash with other people. So you want to bring as many people into the fold as possible. If you know there's a lot of different Nigel Mill stuff going around, then you want to get in touch with those people and, and as early as possible, let them know what you're doing or you're doing something so they can, which is how we got involved with, with you and your stuff there, John, you know, which you're doing with the Nigel Neal study day and, and that, you know, we wanted to bring that into the fold or to, to it's like joined up writing. You want everyone to be, you know, singing from the same hymn sheet as it were. Um, to tell the truth, the choices are pretty arbitrary. We know from experience which titles get audiences in, which titles have resonance. Year of the Sex Olympics is a great title for resonance because it's sort of, um, it's prescient about the rise of a, a certain form of um, reality television and uh, and what that does to an audience if, if they're spoon fed it, you know. So, you know, that's, that's, that, that is a title that you can probably show again and again and again because it has resonance like that. Um, there's culty titles like The Quaker Mass and things like that, but we didn't put Beasts in, but we could have easily put Beasts in because it's another, it's another popular thing. But we only had a limited number of slots. We, the slots usually come in quite uniform numbers. They're usually four six or eight i mean it's it's unlikely i mean with a big season um you know perhaps um bbc centenary season then you mm. might get 10 or 12 but usually four six or eight and you cut your cloth accordingly you know you, you think you know which seasons fit which sections also you've got to work out that 
because the seasons usually only go over one month, yeah. you've got to think of your, you've got to think of your uh, audience. I mean, they can't go every night, but plus mm. it's expensive if mm. they go. So if, if, if we did a complete nil retrospective and people wanted to see it, it would, <laughs> it would exhaust them and exhaust them financially. You know, you don't want to do that. You want to give them a, a chance. As it we, we've had several years of podcast already. <laughs> there you go <laughs> so yeah so um with neil we knew that we knew the centenary was coming um he he is a good um bfi person but in so much as the members he's someone that the members respond to and, and come it, it's good press we're we're no longer in a position as we were 25 or 30 years ago not to have to worry about audience numbers we, we have to now because over the years your grant gets cut mm-hmm. as it as all our places do and you struggle more so you need to find some ways of getting your auditoria if not full at least quite quite heavily subscribed to so you know so it, it, in many ways Neil fulfills a lot of the criteria that we need for a season but it's also something we'd want to do he's someone worth uh, celebrating and it's also he's also someone that we probably haven't done comprehensively for quite a few years is there any different challenges with um choosing film or tv because i'm, I'm imagining if you do say you know J- uh, jack rosenthal it's telly that you're looking at and then the differences between various various decades but neil you could split you can split what well, you will split quite often equitably between between TV and TV and film. Um, is is the digitization meaning that it doesn't really matter, or are there different factors to take consideration when both choosing and the mechanics of showing something on a on a screen like as as you would as you would at say an FT one? Because say for the night for nine seventy four, appreciate it's you know it's 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 a Blu ray, so it'll be it'll be upgraded. But you know you'll be you're showing. Um, Wuthering Heights, which is which isn't commercially available. So has that had, is that digitised? Has that had work done? Or did, did work done it will to it? Be, or something? Yeah. yeah, it will be. Yeah. Um, I, you see, the, the Neil season came from the TV department. So although yeah. we can add a couple of films within that mix, we've put the one with right, Snowman okay. in or something. Yeah. Basically, it's a TV season with additional additionality ah, of a couple okay. of films. Mm-hmm. If you look at our recent Mike Lee season, now Mike Lee is someone that is stretched completely across film and television. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's a, a that's a section where they decide to do Mike Lee, and then come to the people that know Mike Lee within the TV department. They say, "Well, what?" What small screen might these should we show? Because they're such an important part of his of his development. That's where his his style was formulated, you know. So yeah, so it all depends on on where the initial idea comes from and what angle they're taking. I, I mean, they could have easily done just Mike Lee on on the big screen, mm. but they wanted to do a more uh, a larger retrospective. So you know, we brought the small screen into it. So it, it does. It's it's not really anymore um, the format that the material is available on, except in very rare cases when it's only available as um, a, a, as a master, um, probably a thirty five mil or sixteen mil master, yeah. and it's master material. If that's the only surviving print, it can't be shown. It has to be duplicated or digitized it, yeah. before we do it, and that's a financial undertaking. 
So, you know, so I did a, um, I did a Faye Weldon season and there was a couple of early bits of Faye that were only available as masters, so I couldn't show them. I'm happy to say that it looks like they are being digitised. But that must be an ongoing challenge anyway. Um, and I suppose it's well, look, over the fullness of time, the entirety of the archive might be, but God knows how long that will take. So you're asking for those specific bits there to be done to live in a time-specific way, and therefore your, your budget is is allocated to that so you have to I suppose then question you know is that is that worth it um, you can only digitize material that is going to be exploited in some way right okay yeah um, but occasionally what happens is just has happened you get a, a heritage lottery grant mm -hmm. uh, you pitch for it and we pitch for one and so we got a grant to digitize um thousands of what we call tapes in peril and um, what they mean by tapes in peril, they're mostly two inches and one inches. And the reason they're in peril isn't because the tapes are deteriorating, but that the machines you play them on are no longer around and they're getting fewer and far between. And it becomes harder and harder to get a, a, a good two inch machine running. So the more of the two inches you can digitize, the more you're safeguarding the future. So the challenge would be not so much the material, but the fact no one's, well, in the two-inch case, but basically no one's got, not enough people have video recorders, and when they break down, you need you need bits and skills to repair them, and that's and they're not readily available, is, is essentially, it can be that simple. It's, it's three or four things, actually. Um, we employ a lot of people who used to work for BBC and ITV who are retired and come to us after retirement, uh, they because, they understand yeah. the equipment and the nuances of the equipment, and some of them are working on two-inch tapes that they actually made forty-five years ago. You know, Good so Lord. they're working on the same tapes. Um, you get machines that are cannibalized. Usually, the machines they have uh, most of their outsides taken off. So what you're looking at is is a skeletonized machine, and you can see exactly when bits are going wrong. And then you constantly try and buy up old obsolete machines on the hope like a wreckers yard that you can use a bit you, you can cannibalize a bit to make this this machine and keep it working good lord the same so the people so because basically the skill is 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 is, is dying plenty of these technicians are essentially employed in retirement that's yeah it doesn't machines. come as any surprise my, my father it doesn't know worked as, as an engineer for um Bush House for, for the British World Service for about 30 years. And when he retired, they kept him on for another 10 years as a consultant in order to tell them what all the wires did and uh, what exactly. all the equipment did and, and help them turn it into something that they could continue to use in the future. It's One the same if you look at, if you go, if you're interested in steam trains, there's usually two or three people at the heart of it who used to be professional train drivers at the right, very yeah. end of the world of steam you know they're, and they're the ones that they've got the know-how to pass on to the next generation you know in the in the the the, the neil season you're doing there's a uh, if not unique then a rare uh, occurrence of you're doing a tabletop reading obviously one of the one of the hazards of uh, covering anything with um from archive television is the vast amount of it that's that's missing um or indeed in in very in very early cases never even recorded um in 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 
the first place. So you're doing a reading of Nigel Neal's uh, Out of the Unknown episode, uh, The Chopper, which only, in only one occasion so far have I seen someone mistakenly think that the chop the chop has been recovered because it's part of missing belief wipes <laughs> and, was, and was slightly disappointed to tell them that that that, that wasn't the case as we, as we were but um I was think, it, I think putting it under that banner was slightly provocative but I possibly that, yeah I, mean, I think that there was yeah only one person I saw thought it had been recovered it was fairly easy once you once you we might have heard about this in another source otherwise anyway um was that always because there's so much missing Neil, and because so much missing Neil means there's always good stuff that gets that gets overlooked? Was doing a was doing a, a dramatized reading um, always part of part of your wish list for this season? We've done a few dramatized readings in the past. Logistically, they are more difficult than mm. just doing a screening. You've got to get more people there. You know, you've got to have a rehearsal and things like that. But it's worth it on occasions. You know, to to rediscover something like that or to at least have a, a, a chance it's it's almost like when big finish do their audio versions of, of lost television yeah. it's quite nice to have some sort of record of it something that you think oh well at least um, perhaps i didn't see it and perhaps i'll never see it but at least i have an inkling of what it was like you know so yeah i think it, it can be the last one we did was um the tony hancock movie that Gordon and Simpson had written, the, the Day Off, which they rediscovered the script they'd written, which he turned down after The Rebel. But um, we got a cast in to read it, and it was, it was vintage Hancock stuff, and lovely to hear, absolutely lovely. So there are, you know, it's not something I think we'd do too much, mm. but there are reasons for doing it. I think they're valid reasons as well. Also, when you do something like The Chopper, you do get a bit of publicity for it. People start talking about it. As you say, some people might think it's been recovered. There's a buzz talking about it. I wouldn't be surprised if the chopper wasn't out there somewhere. You know, probably abroad, probably be, I, I don't, I think it would have been found if it had been in the UK, if it was yeah. a private collector. But the more publicity you get, the more you get the word out, that just out of the unknown, the chopper goes out there as an entity again. It reminds people People look through their collection, maybe someone will see it on a shelf somewhere abroad. So it's almost like you're, you're trying to will it back by doing something like this. In terms of um, how this fits into, oh, how the, the, the Nigel Neal sits a season fits into um, your, your, your job more generally, do we talk a bit more about what sort of your day-to-day -day sort of role as a, as, 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 as a programmer? Is it simply you're always working on the next thing, the next thing to come out, or is there sort of more, more immediate things sort of to, to logistically or practically to fix from, from when you go from we have programmed this to now, right, I now need to run these things now to make them happen? I think it's, it's a twofold thing because... Um, Basically, Marcus and I, who are the TV section at the South Bank, um, our job is probably split, pretty, pretty delineated. He he does modern day TV. He does all the previews and things like that. I help out. You know, it's all hands to the pump. We're a very small yeah. unit, and I tend to do more deep archive stuff. Um, that doesn't mean to say we don't overlap, but that's how it goes. Doing the archive TV now is, as I say, as I alluded to, it's not the same as it was 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Um, you know, things change. Um, there's no doubt about it in the past that the biggest audience we'd get would be from material from the 50s and 60s. Had a huge following, 
Um, it was quite coldish. I mean, we got it. That's changed. That's changed just because our audience have, uh, have died out and a new audience has come forward. So suddenly the 70s and 80s start becoming the most sought after because that's where the nostalgia is. That's what they remember. And that's the thing that perhaps is in need of, um, of revisiting. And now it's the 90s. You know, people are starting to think about the 90s. Um, this year was a, is a particularly big year for historic television. So we've got the centenary of the BBC. Yeah. The, uh, it's the 40th anniversary of Channel 4. It's Nigel Neal's centenary. You've got all this stuff going on. So it, this is probably probably the, the, the biggest year when we've actually delved into deep archive for quite a few years. Um, we've been cherry picking for different reasons. But this, we can indulge ourselves in, in perhaps the last great fling of the tail of the archive television just for the, the beauty of what it is, rather than have to find smart ways into it again. So this is, um, that's another reason why Neil fitted in with this. It, it's all to do, it, it, it's almost like the year of television at the BFI. They were very, and they were very good to allow us because they could, have, they could have easily said, well, there's too much television, there's too much archive, but they didn't, they let us run with it. That's, that, that's good to know. How, I mean, in terms of the archive, the BBC obviously has its own. As I understand it, the BFI acts as the archive for independent television, or at least for ITV and Channel 4 and Channel 5. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we're officially the archivists of commercial television, but we're also the window for the BBC. So if you, as a member of the public, go to the BBC because you want to see something, they'll send you the viewing services of the BFI. The deal we've done is that we will act as as the as the BBC's public viewing department. So that means you have um, rights, not notwithstanding, you have access to the entirety of the BFI's arch- sorry of the BBC's archive to view. Yeah. Should it be should it should it be should it be required? Okay, should and, it be required? Yeah, right, and yeah. also there's a, there's a second. Obviously, the BBC when they um, digitised, they they gave us all their old two inches. So we yeah. hold an enormous amount of BBC material, and we hold. I'd say perhaps perhaps a dozen, perhaps two dozen items of the B, of BBC stuff. BBC don't hold um, because over the years we've absorbed it, they've lost it. They for reasons known only themselves, they haven't wanted it back or haven't asked for it back yet. It's very much um, um, we're very close to the BBC archive. We deal with them a lot. Mm. If you know, they're very very good about making us copies for viewing at South Bank and things like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, we're, the, there's no rivalry there. We're very much the, the same team. But, yeah, so it, it just works more coherently like that, that the come the BFI is, is the clearinghouse, you like, for British television. How, in a commercial sense, though, who would make the call for what gets what gets released? Because the BFI is releasing 1934, which is a BBC programme. The BFI released... Out of the Unknown, Dead of Night, Ghost Stories for Christmas. Is it that essentially BBC or BBC Studios aren't convinced they can they can make money from it? So to just the BFI have a go? It's it's exactly it. What happened is the, <laughs> the BBC. Um, if it's cult and not Doctor have, Who, they don't want to know it. Well, the BBC <laughs> used to have an archive label to entertain, which yeah, very much was, it. and um, I think the problem is. 
as we have found, as everyone has found, um, it can be very tricky dealing with archives to to get the rights to get it to clear everything. And what what tends to happen is um, the way the public are. What the BBC found was if they released um, the last season of Mrs Brown's Boys, which when they made the contracts, the all, all the writing about the video release, DVD release, Blu-ray release, that was all built into the contracts. There was no negotiation needed. It was part of the, of the way it worked. Yeah. They could release that and sell 40,000 copies. And it, everyone's happy. It makes tons of money. Um, um, but for the same amount of effort to go into an archive television programme, um, unless it's 40 Towers or Doctor Who or Monty Python, unless it's one of those, then what you're looking at is um, a lot of work for perhaps sales of less than less than 3,000. Know, it brings them no money back, they're, they're, so they're not that interested. What the BFI, well, when we first started looking at sub-licensing, BBC material. We looked at stuff that we thought should be out there. Yeah, that, that, you know, was always popular with us. That should be restored because you know there's there's a danger of, of it being in too bad a, a damage an old state to restore adequately. You know, so we thought that should be restored. But also we thought it doesn't matter. All we need to do is break even. We don't need to make a profit. I mean, our idea is to get it out there. It's a cultural remit. Yeah. Now, I have to say that with some of those titles, we've done spectacularly well. The Ghost Stories for Christmas did spectacularly well. So, but, yep. you know, that's that's neither here nor there. You, I, I guess you've got to look at Tim Beddoe's uh, network about he's proved that even a commercial organisation, if you're clever enough, if you're astute enough, if you know your audience enough, and mm. if you work with new technologies. So... You only make as many DVDs or Blu-rays as you're going to sell. Like in the old days, they'd make 3,000. If they only sold 1,000, they had 2,000 left on your hands. Well, now, in this world of easy digitization, you can make to order virtually. Mm. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it's become something we can do. But you're, it's noticeable that the um, it's because the BBC, I think, it's like us operating as, as their window, if you like, as, as their conduit. It's easier for them to let us do it. Albeit, um, when you when you do these negotiations, they can be difficult. It can be very expensive to do this stuff. It doesn't give us carte blanche to release all of their archive. These, there's only a few things that we can um, we, we can work hard to get out there. Ultimately, though, I was surprised by a couple of decisions. Um, I really thought the BBC would want to release 1984. I thought that will that will sell quite well, uh, for relatively for a for a program from the 19 from, from, from the 1950s. I think if they still had 2E, it would have been right. The okay, way, yeah. the way the the current marketing goes, the amount, even if you think it will do well, it won't. It's not a drop in the ocean compared to what you know the sort of stuff they're selling right the blue planets and stuff you know yeah. which are just a bucket load you know but they did um uh day of the triffids which i was yep. yeah which i was i was surprised they did that because i thought that's not going to sell hugely well is it i mean obviously it's for the saddos like me who, who would absolutely adore this thing and that was one of their earliest scariest memories on telly i, I would lap up um, um but it I was mean, no, I, I, 
I'm not privy to what they're thinking and no, why, they, sure. why they do it. I think that Doctor Who has shown them that the you know there are some titles that they like Hitchhiker's Guide, Doctor Who. There's some titles they can revisit and release on different formats and bring in lots of different extras. So maybe their thinking was to try and experiment to find others. I think 1984 is probably just too old for them mm, to experiment okay. with that, you know. I mean, they, they also released Quatermass, don't forget. They did quite a... They, they did, released, yeah, they did they, the Blu-ray of the yeah. pit, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, but I'm thinking with the Doctor Who stuff as well, they spend a bit of money on it. They add some, always add some some very nice-looking documentaries and extras, but they know it's they know they're going to return. They know it'll sell. Um, exactly that. There's, exactly yeah. that. there's no but risk they, there. Yeah. But that's and I always remember um, when I was a young, a younger Doctor Who fan, um, encountering grumpy archive TV fans that were like, "Doctor Who gets all the attention. What about everything else?" Me going, "Oh, you're sad. Oh, this is brilliant." And now, over the years, I've graduated into a grumpy archive fan moaning about. Uh, I, for the first time, realizing that all my favourite missing TV episodes are no longer Doctor Who. There's like, you know, I want to see, I want to see uh, the creature or the. Um, or the chopper, or the road, possibly, yeah. possibly. I, more I can than, attest that this is in fact the case. Yeah, possibly more than I yeah. now that I want to see the invasion episode four. Um, I think though you you got to remember it was the fanaticism of Doctor Who fans that alerted us to the fact that a lot of missing material was. Oh, out. of course, yes. And, and, you know, question, yeah. they, they were sort of they've sort of built the rails where the where other material is able to yeah, be returned. Yeah, completely. But the Doctor Who is a, you know, Doctor Who is a gateway drug, I often thought. It's something that you, <laughs> it's something that you get, something you, something you get into yeah. at, a, at a young age. And then that can, because, particularly because it goes from the early 60s to the late 80s in its original yeah. run, you have like a remit of how TV was made then. And, yeah, you, know, you start, it, you start with Doctor Who and then you're mainlining quite a matter. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's similar to how I put it. I would go, to go too far down this <laughs> <laughs> but yes that's uh and not least of which because you know it was still a bit like late watching like quite complicated drama in 1989 still being made multi-camera um was you know sounds sound sounds 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 so bizarre bizarre now but yeah it's a uh, it's i like the actor i'll see them in that thing or they're in that thing and suddenly there's a whole there's a massive world out there of, of stuff that you never heard of because tv is so ephemeral and that's why that's why the BFI do such great work. Finishing up, we'll put details on on the website of of dates and screenings uh, on link okay. through and link through to the to to, to to the season. But is there any highlights uh, that you're particularly looking forward to um, for for the, for the Nigel Neal season? Obviously, 1984 itself um, um, and the discussion about it. I'm looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to the table reading of the chopper. That's uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a response to that. But in, in all, I'm just looking forward to the fact that we're keeping Nigel's name out there. You know, he's, he's someone very important, especially when you look at the birth of a stronger, more adult-themed drama on television, mm -hmm. written specifically for television, mm -hmm. or if adapted, adapted in a, in a very televisual way. His strange mix of horror and humanity, his strange idea for sort of, um, you know, a, a very early form of that folk horror when he combines science fiction ideas with paganistic ideas of, of folk horror. That has resonance now. And of course, we, we know that a lot of people have been influenced by him and because of that. So that's the other thing. I'm looking forward to keeping Nigel's name out there and, and perhaps bringing in 
uh, uh, yet an, another generation of fans to his work. Vic and Doug, welcome to Birdcast. Welcome. Hello. Could you first of all explain, um, I know Vic, you've, you've been on before, so this might be a bit of a, a bit of an update, but Doug, this is your first time. If you want to explain a bit more about who you guys are and what you do. Sure, I mean, um, I, I can explain what I do. I'm a purely technical person, not that I'm a robot or anything, but sometimes it feels like that. My job at the BFI is to oversee uh, all the remastering and restoration work for uh, distribution projects. So things like 1984 uh, and anything that comes out on Blu-ray and DVD and we re-release in the cinema. And that, that includes contemporary films like uh, After Love, which won a BAFTA last night. So I worked on the release of that. I also work on things like 1984. So everything. But my background is film. So I'm a, more of a film guy. But um, yeah, that's my job. So your, what would your role have been on the, the Blu-ray release or DVD release of, of say, After Love? Uh, my role of, on After Love was working with the director and making sure that the, the film, in basic terms, was the right shape for right. when it came out uh, uh, in the cinema, that everything was in the right place. Ah, so not for, not, not for the, the, the release, the actual theatrical release of it as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right, I work yeah, across okay. the ah, cinema okay. distribution and everything that the BFI distributes uh, in the cinema on video... So that's Blu-ray and DVD and uh, and online as well. So for After Love, which is a new release, it's just making sure it's in a fit state to be released in the cinema. Not changing the film, but just making sure the subtitles are in the right place. It's the right aspect ratio. The audio is in the right place. The director's happy with it. Uh, but then my prim primary uh, function is to oversee remastering and restoration. And that's my background as well as a person. And Vic. Uh, yeah, well, I guess um, historically, uh, I am a film person too. Uh, first of all, I, I, I historic when I began at the BFI, which was uh, twenty two or twenty three years ago, I worked in acquisitions. I uh, very hands on in those days. Uh, film archive archiving was my sort of first job at the BFI, handling film, looking at film. Mm. Um, as, we kind of we kind of did the same thing didn't yeah, we, we, around we the same time. I looked at the archive, the uh, J. Paul yeah. Getty Conservation Centre over in Berkhamsted. Uh, Twen Twenty years ago, <laughs> man, man and boy, and uh, since then I, I've gone through sort of uh, seven or eight different jobs at the BFI. Uh, my current one is uh, being a producer of of, of Blu-rays and DVDs. Uh, Whereas um, Doug, I guess, is more involved with contemporary film. My, I guess, my specific positioning more often than not is with archive releases, um, which is where my, I guess, my greatest uh, love of film and television lies in old stuff. I, I like old stuff particularly because, um, seeing as it's old, you can sort of, you don't have to wait until it's been sort of. Uh, spoken about and talked about and uh, acknowledged you could you already have a sort of a, a fallback position where you can sort of build it into the jigsaw of film and tv history there's sort of like a i guess a template there and you can fit these bits in and use it to sort of fill in extra bits of the story of film and television so i guess that's why i like old stuff so much but yeah um so 
when um, Douglas was began work on this 1984 project, I thought, uh, you know, this this is great. This is exactly the kind of thing that me and Douglas um, work on together. And I like to think uh, it's a good working relationship we have. And it sort of comes out of other his sort of old TV projects we've done, like we did a, a last 1948 show and Do Not Adjust Your Set, which were again, um, quite detailed, intensive releases of this kind where there's like quite a lot of um, uh, people are going to be paying close attention to the kind of job you're going to do on it. Because as you'll know, anything that has sort of archive TV, Nigel Neal um, has a lot of uh, very passionate fans out there who want you to do it right. So, uh, you know, you're never going to please all the people all the time, as you'll also know, which is the nature of archive TV, but we, we, we do our best to do this stuff to the best of our ability because it is stuff we genuinely love and care about, I guess. So when it came to um, the, uh, is video the catch-all term for a, 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 a commercial release across across formats? Um, I would, I would I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there is a catch-all term, but I would say I just, it, kind of, it kind of is, but I think just to sort of clarify that, yeah, the catch-all, yeah, video being... I mean, we'll say part, DVD, Blu-ray every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of people just say DVD when they refer to things coming out on disc, but most stuff comes out on Blu-ray these mm. days, doesn't it? They say, how's the DVD releases getting on? You go, well, we, we do actually mostly Blu-rays. But they mean they mean that as well. Okay, so yeah. I'll, whatever it's, term, it'll be interchangeable. The release of 84. So when that came along, was it a case of... Uh, Doug, did you pitch for it or were you just told you're working on it due to time or yeah, particular skill set? I, I think, I mean, I, I do a lot of pitching. Uh, first of all, I pitched to Vic. <laughs> He's my sounding board. And I said, what do you think of this? And Vic goes, yeah, that's great, Doug. And then I usually go and speak to somebody else. And I can't really remember this one. I know that ages ago, this was on the cards, maybe seven or eight years ago. Uh, and there was work done on the release seven or eight years ago, but for whatever reason, to do with rights and things like that, with certain estates, it never happened. And there was a certain amount of work done at that point, but it was only ever aimed at a DVD release back then. And then it swung round again, uh, I guess, last year when the the the, the, the work was going to go out of copyright. I mean, Vic, jump in if I'm right, if I'm wrong even. Um, when the work was going to go out of copyright. And then I jumped on it and said, this is a great idea, because actually my relationship with the BBC 1984, you can go back 15 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that. I used to work at the BBC archive um, uh, in the, the, the film library uh, as a technician, and they have a, they had a general film viewing area, and I did film telly, cine, and basic stuff like that. Uh, so I worked at the BFI 20 years ago, and then I took that to the BBC archive, and then I came back to the BFI. But when I was at the BBC, I remember um, checking the original materials to 1984. I remember handling them and going through them. This is years and years ago. So when that came up last year, I got quite excited because I, I knew the material. I knew the film. I'd seen it. And a lot of people haven't seen it. Um, so I then pitched that we should be doing it on Blu-ray um, rather than just DVD, which um, opens a whole wonderful world of technical things <laughs> uh, well i mean so presumably and, uh, sorry go. Not you go. um 
so what do you have when you for a picture of it? Is it just a 16 millimeter film cam can or oh, no, so, so so with 1984 it was very interesting because um as you know, uh, a lot of the BBC output from the 50s, 60s and 70s doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, it's on a very compromised format, like a 16 millimeter tele recording. The, the things that people mostly think about when you talk about BBC programs being missing are things like Doctor Who and Top of the Pops and Dad's Army. And a lot of that's been recovered, um, but mostly recovered on what's called a telerecording. I mean, I, I, I don't want to sort of, I don't, I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir or what, so to speak, but I'll just, you know. But yeah, yeah a, a telerecording, which essentially in very, very basic terms is a, um, a film camera filming a TV screen. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's a very brief way of describing it. But a lot of programs uh, from that era only exist on 16 millimeter black and white telerecording. Whereas uh, 16 millimeter was adopted by the BBC in, uh, I want to say late 50s, early 60s. I have a feeling, and somebody will probably correct me on this, but I have a feeling it was David Attenborough that brought it in because it was a lot more portable for natural history unit work. But before then, in the 50s, they actually did telerecordings in 35 millimeter. So we were really lucky with 1984 in that um, it was broadcast live twice uh, on, on the repeat uh, live performance or the second live performance even uh, they, they filmed a tele recording of it on 35 millimeter and the BBC still have that so they still have the original negative of the tele recording and then they also have um, pre-filmed sequences that they filmed with the actors uh, that were uh, used as a sort of buffer. So when they were changing the scene or people were changing their costumes, they played these uh, pre-film sequences and they had the original camera negatives of these sequences still in the archive. Um, so we had access to those. I mean, that's amazing. When we transferred those, they looked like they were shot yesterday on black and white. It's incredible. Uh, and as a, a, a bonus, the BFI also have a 35 millimeter copy of the tele-recording in our archive. So basically I had all this material scanned at 2K resolution, so higher than high definition. And basically that's what we had to work with. And from then it was basically a reconstruction. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> and you wanted to do this on Blu-ray just because of the 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 the, the relative um, richness of the source material you've got justified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the the richness of the, the. I mean, it's a really fine balancing act with the material, especially this kind of material. And there are a lot of people that know a lot of things about it, and I don't claim to know everything, but I do take my expertise and my experience to the table with it. Which I, I, you know, I won't say is inconsiderable, in, uh, not uh, inconsiderable. That's about it. But the um, the original negative sequences that were shot um, look incredible. The the, the set, I call them the buffer sections, but they're the sort of filler or whatever. Uh, with uh, um, Peter Cushing walking about far. Filler, not filler, <laughs> you, but you know what I mean. You mean the film uh, sequence? The film sequence? The film sequences. The film, the film sequences. They weren't filler, but they felt they were used. For what they were used for, I'm a very logical man, right? They, <laughs> I'm very passionate. <laughs> but the uh, those sequences, the um, it felt the right thing to do was pre to present it as high quality as possible. Um, even the tele recording, which is um, 
you would say substandard definition because um, it's a basically a film of a TV screen. But I wanted to basically squeeze every single ounce of juice out of it as I could, uh, and I think we've done that. Um, I, I it, it, as just when I say it's a very fine balancing act, and that um, I could probably work on this for another. 20 years and it would look exactly the same <laughs> so uh, uh i had to stop um at some point so um yeah but i've Vic seen what, what we've done and, and i'm pretty happy with it i think it's gonna look good well i know i've seen it it looks pretty good i think i hope people are happy <laughs> so i mean it's fair to say that this is probably going to be like the best version anybody's seen since um it was broadcast Absolutely, it's yeah. Better than it was seen when it was broadcast. The I don't, tiny I don't, there. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't think. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, obviously, the, the only versions that have been around now. I've did my research. It's been repeated on the TV a couple of times. One of them was on BBC Four. Yeah, and that was from an old broadcast tape. I had copies of all of this. So from the BBC archive, I had access to all these materials, and I previewed it all. I viewed it all. Um, so everything until now has been pretty ropey. And even this new master, as great as it is, it has limitations just purely because of what it is. Technically, it, when I approach these projects, I'm looking at it as an object, like a painting. And you have to bring that back to a certain point that people can enjoy it, enjoy viewing it and appreciate it, um, but without detracting from the original piece, if that doesn't sound too up my own arse. <laughs> not at all. I mean, this, you know is, this, is, this is not 100 miles away from like you said restoring a painting oh no it's not at all not at all yeah it's yeah. basically archaeological yeah, yeah. restoration isn't it absolutely so i'm i i always i mean i've worked on a lot of these i've many many of these projects every year and this is one of the most interesting ones because usually the work i do is from a, a 35 millimeter element or elements but because of the tv nature of this uh, i have that extra experience from working at the BBC that I kind of brought to the table, but I still, my ethos is it's you're, you're working on the object um, rather than the program or the film, if that makes sense. I'm not yeah. working on the actor's performance. I'm not enhancing uh, what you're looking at to bring out extra detail. I'm bringing out the detail that exists and I'm polishing the object. I'm showing you what it is. Um, in a sense, I don't even care if it's good or bad, the film itself, because a lot of stuff we put out may be good or bad. I'm not going to say what's bad and what's good. <laughs> but this is a good one, right? Yeah, this is a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. In my opinion, this is a good one. Yeah, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. <laughs> so even the version I saw in, in December is not the final version, is it? What did you see in December? The one for the commentary. So. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That... that um, uh, no, it wouldn't have been. No, 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 no. Yeah. It had a, it had quite a bit of clean up. Yeah. Good. Okay. I said good. The, the film sequences still looked pretty, 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 pretty good in that. But there was yeah, there was yeah. if it was the one in December, there was damage in there. So um, there were sequences where the actual negative was damaged and torn. I don't know how the hell that happened, but you know, ask the BBC. But we luckily had the BFI element to fall back on, where we could, so could replace yeah. those sections. So sometimes you could go in there and paint it out, but it's easier just to go. Bump. Here it is. Because Here's the whole bit. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Vic, uh, when were you brought on board to to, to help out on this one? Um, well, at, at the beginning, I guess. I mean, I guess um, whereas Douglas was uh, overseeing that sort of technical side, I was kind of um, handling uh, 
the stuff that we would put on the disc to supplement the release. Uh, uh, so commissioning stuff for that, like uh, your commentary, John, um, and also uh, uh, all the stuff relating to the booklet and that side of things. And then um, the VAM, as it's called, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, they use the term additionality, and I'm not even sure that's a word. No, no, it's, no, it's no. sort of word that if you type it into Word, it puts a wibbly line underneath. <laughs> I don't think it actually exists as a, as a real word. But the, um, but the extras, essentially, is that what yeah, is that thing they kind of. The kind of um, on a release like this, I, I guess that's kind of more. Uh, integral than it might be on some other stuff because you know this is a very a dedicated fan base a very specific market who want to have this stuff these you know the people who buy this they do want to see the other stuff they want to get as much as they possibly can you know so uh every image that the bbc gave me which wasn't many go on there every bit of paper they give us which isn't much we stick on there so but you know we have got the whole of the script on there and a couple of bits of production uh, documentation on there. And uh, we have uh, the commentary that you did with Andy and Toby and also uh, Andy and Toby's event they did about Neil at uh, home in Manchester. And a thing that Dick did with uh, Oliver Wake about um, myth busting the sort of 1984 uh, play. Uh, as well, so we, we the, rea the reaction to it, yeah, the, 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 the how they've overplayed, how outraged the public were. I think it yeah, is, yeah, 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 so. various things of that kind. But I mean, what was another part of it was uh, just uh, me and Doug sort of uh, saying it'll be all right, it'll be all right, because th this has been a long and fairly, uh, uh, I mean, all of these processes going from beginning to end is quite a you know, a rocky road and this one has been particularly tricky owing to the mm. certain factors in play here in the various uh large organizations which have to be navigated to do this so um douglas uh has done a great job on this but it's also a job where it really helps to to bounce it between the two of us just to see yeah keep each I other mean, enthusiastic Vic, you know? Vic, and, Vic and i i mean i i'm primarily the technical the head technical guy in the distribution at the BFI, but I do produce projects. And every time I produce a project, I always produce it with Vic because we work very well together, bouncing things off of each other. And we've done stuff at the South Bank together. It always works quite well. Um, but the um, with this, we, I, I, I just do a very deep dive of research through the archive for materials and it threw up a lot of stuff. I think the most interesting thing for me, and this was the make or break point on the release which Vic hasn't mentioned is uh we've got the late night lineup on there with the actors and um Cartier and some other people I'm sorry I'm just going to blame my brain on COVID the, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm discussing it from 1964 is it 64 65 60, um, 65 is it 65 is it is it because 65. of the, the is it the remake it's because of the because of the remake yeah. version yeah yeah and um the, I basically very early on in the process, I said, we have to have this on here because to me, if, if we can't get this, it's not the definitive of the release. We, the way we approach a lot of things these days coming out on DVD and Blu-ray is because people say that the format is quote unquote dying, which it isn't, by the way, but people believe it is. There is a certain belief that if you don't do the definitive release of a film on Blu-ray, it, 
you have a license for maybe eight or nine years on that title. So eight or nine years from now, it might never ever get another opportunity to come out on Blu-ray. It'll be another format. It might be streaming or whatever. So this is kind of the last opportunity to put together this sort of package. So I said, if we can't get this late night lineup, I basically, I don't think it's a definitive release. So we made an extra effort to get that on there. That was kind of make or break right up until less than a month ago. Yeah, right up until the deadline, the BBC got in touch and said, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> wow. It took them that long because they have to get in touch with everybody and everybody's estate in that programme. And it had never been cleared before. So they had to go into the paper archive and find, get out the actual contracts for that late night lineup. And it was just <laughs> so happened that the BBC had already scanned it in HD, which I thought was curious. But the, So that was useful. But the um, Yeah, so that's on there, but it's not the full thing because we decided not to put the um, the remake version on because of several reasons. One being, personally, I thought that the release should be focused on the original. That's what it was about. That's what the story is about. It's about that film. But also, it would have been a whole other six months, maybe even more of um, rights clearance and materials work as well. Just to say, this, the, the one you're talking about, the the Theatre 65 version from, yeah. from 65, the Chris Morahan, um, which which Neil also adapted, um, what they that's used right. as a similar script. That's not entirely complete, is it? That was re- recovered relatively recently and is missing about, I think, is it about 10 minutes? Um, or is it a little more, possibly? I think it's a little less, isn't it? About is it? Oh, is it? It's seven or eight minutes, is it? Okay. Yeah, I think that's what Dick was saying. Yeah, but anyway, the, the late night lineup, this, the exit you talk yeah. about as well, is um, the, because, because of the remake of this, the the the, 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 the Chris Morahan version, it's the, the presenters talking with the cast of that, mm. along with the cast of, of, the, yeah, of, and, of, of and, the Cartier version. And the Cartier version, find, go on, sorry. Sorry, to find things like that, where you've got such a rare yep. piece of broadcasting and you've got a whole cast and crew talking about it, it's gold dust. Yeah, well, it's about, the only time, it's about the only time you'll find surviving footage of like Morel and Cushing talking about the role, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a big push to have that on there. I have to say, I sent a lot of emails pushing people to that. I'm very, I'm, 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 I am, I am pretty excited for that. I've got to, I've got, to, I've got, to, I've got to oh, admit. Thank you, thank you for your and Vic's indulgence and I, what I was shouting at him. All the things you've got to have on there, regardless of time, resources, and budget. Um, now, when the BBC, presumably, who have the ultimate rights as they own uh, the product, do it as well. Is there a, a way it's worked out that the BFI get this or BBC Studios get that? Because they did um, quite a mass in the pit themselves, uh, or BBC Studios sorted the project out there themselves, but BFI did um, yeah, the Sex Olympics. So is there is there a, a, an easy way you'll know whether the BBC will farm it out to to you or to others or to just say no we want this release is it or and is it just a case of if they think they they can make money out of it they will do if they're not sure they'll give it to the yeah. BFI I think I think it's a mixture of a few of those yeah. things personally I think it, the BB for instance we we well Vic just produced the play for today series and I remastered it all and the BBC didn't see that as a profitable exercise but the BFI saw it as something that was worthy to do, but the BBC is very happy for us to do it. I think with the 1984, I think there's maybe a few things at play there in that we were already wanting to do it a while ago and we'd already registered that interest with the BBC. So it was already kind of set up for us to right. do it. 
Uh, I know there were other labels that were going to be doing it at one point, even further back than that, but because of the estate and the rights reasons, it just kept falling through. So I think if we hadn't already been in a position to do it seven or eight years ago, whenever it was coming now, you know, any other label might have got in touch and licensed it. it you just have to get in there on time. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how the BBC works when it comes to its decision making with what it puts out in Blu-ray and what it doesn't. Personally, I don't know. Vic might know. Well, all I'd say is that it has the, that sort of, uh, it's similar to all large uh, publicly funded arts organisations where not always does one part of it know what another part is doing. And often mm. the kind of responses we get when we go after stuff from the BBC depends on which particular angle we're approaching from. And also, yeah, I think in the case of 1984, um, we've been hanging around saying, we'd like to do this, we'd like to do this, we'd like to do this over and over and over again. And uh, we were there at the right time to a degree. And also the persistence has, has paid off in that respect. And also I, I think they have been working with us closely on the play for today's recently. And uh, I think they they possibly like how we've done those. I think that's probably yeah. a factor in, this. Yeah, so we did. I mean, the relation, the relationship, the relationship goes quite far, quite back with the ghost stories for Christmas, and you know, we've got even more BBC stuff in the pipeline for the later in the year and next year. So it's a relationship thing there as well. And we've got another project which I can't reveal the name of going on at the minute, but it's from a big Hollywood studio, and one of the reasons that they decided to to collaborate with us in the restoration is because of what the BFI brings to a project that other distributors don't, which is more of a cultural uh, reappraisal of a film. And it's a different platform. We re-release films nationwide that other distributors maybe don't have the ability to do. And we give films the exposure that maybe other distributors, smaller distributors don't have the ability to do. And also we've got a preservation remit in the 1984 and also this other film at the end of all these projects, they are restored and preserved in the archives, which not all distributors do. So we, we bring a lot of other things to the table, which make us more attractive to companies like the BBC and other bigger studios. It also probably helps you have an ongoing relationship for like, you know, the access of their archive is, is part of the exactly, BFI's remit, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, so, yeah. exactly. The archive, it's the archive side of it's a big yeah. attraction. Yeah, yeah, sure as well. Um, is there an increasing challenge with lower sales and smaller budgets on physical media now generally? But then you just, well, you just said it isn't, it isn't dying, but is it, is it a more re focused market possibly than, um, than it was? I tell you, my budget for restoration hasn't gone up in a very long time. And when, and when that last time was, the DVD and Blu-ray sales were very healthy. But in the last couple of years, I mean, we have been through a pandemic. Um, BFI Video Publishing has done very well. It's, re it's, re it's more than cleaned its nose, so to speak, and it still continues to do very well. Um, there's been no real loss on our side of things. I think, this is just me talking, I mean, Vic can add, but the, um, the, personally speaking, I think it's the studios that are in decline with home format, home media, because, you know, People who want to watch Spider-Man can watch it on Netflix or Amazon very easily, but somebody who wants to own a very beautiful edition of 1984 or Play for Today or any other release that I can't think of right now, 
Um, we're the only people that are going to bring it out, or people like Arrow Films are the only people that are going to bring it out, and the, people want to collect these things. It's a collector's market that is still really strong, you know, uh, and the budgets are always tight, and they always have been tight, uh, and they'll continue to be tight. <laughs> sure. um, Vic, Vic, is that true as well of of, of sort of extras budgets for whatever you, you might get of sort of eking out something that but I mean, is it sort of project specific? So you, I know, say there aren't any extras on, say, the the, uh, the play for today stuff. But there's the booklet, which is you know far thicker and is like a mini book um, yeah. for for each one as well. So is it just a case of um, you know what a set project will come, or you have to pitch that as part of the 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 you know, the, the, whole, the overall release so that includes the sort of restoration and any money left over for extras, or is it an entirely separate thing? Well, they're separate budgets. I mean, Douglas works from a separate restoration budget to the kind of budgets I work with. But I know that um, the similarity there is that we haven't had any more money to spend on this stuff for, for donkey's years. And uh, so it's a case of where you focus that, what is increasingly a, an amount of money that will buy less. And so I sort of, I often rely in a release like this on the, the goodwill of the kind of people who are contributing, because I know that, uh, you know, like chaps like yourself, um, love the stuff enough, like me and Douglas do, that, uh, you know, even though we ain't going to get rich out of any of this, we still want it to look as good as it possibly can do. It can look and uh, want it to be lavish with as much love as we possibly can. And, uh, I found that in releases like this in 1984 or in the other TV or when we did Laurel and Hardy, there's suddenly this great community mm. of people who really care, who, who really want to help do it the best it can be, because this is about the artwork and not about the money, you know, and uh, never have I seen, I mean, such love in this case, particularly, you know, there's, there's, there's so much love that loads of great people have done stuff on this for very little money and i'm you know endlessly grateful but i also feel very guilty that i can't give people more money and i can't get you know yeah. from above to shower more money down but, it ain't but they know but they that's that's the flip side isn't it no no pun yeah. intended uh they know that they will do it for all money yeah, because yeah, we no, really that, wanted that's, to yeah that, that's absolutely true yeah. um but uh you know crikey Links for the upcoming events in London can be found in the show notes, but don't worry if you're outside of London, events may happen elsewhere too as the year progresses. Thanks once again to Dick Fiddy, Douglas Weir and Vic Pratt for giving us their time. Birdcast is an independent podcast curated and presented by John Deere and co-presented and edited by me, Howard David Ingham. Thanks for listening. <laughs>